0: Hey, thank you for tuning in to the Relove Podcast. This is Pastor Rico. Our hope is that today's message adds life and power to your journey as you grow. Thanks for joining us. I feel like I've gotten to know Relove as someone who's an observer and an admirer. And so I have the privilege of watching this community grow and thrive and change and continue forward. And I have to say, Relove, I have been praying for you. Every time I would see advertisements for laundry day, I know there's a different term name that you guys use, but the beauty of laundry love, of going and helping by simply putting a few quarters in for someone to have clean clothes. Beautiful. I have seen this church want and actually act on caring for the world around you, this community. And that is beautiful. And I have to say, and I am a pastor that likes to communicate, so I don't do well with just having a stage, I'm going to ask you a very hard question. How are you? It's been two years since George Floyd. It's been four days, three days, Tuesday, since our last mass shooting on our children so I'm asking the hard question how are you? as I would ask my children to say give me a feeling statement anyone daring to share their feeling? how are you? Angry, stressed, fed up, overwhelmed. Why? Confusion. Right? You have all dared to say, I'm fine, not really. I'm okay, not really. You have dared to be strong, but I don't know about you, that wasn't even an option this week, to be strong. In conversations about depression and suicide ideation that you had with Pastor Ortega, and conversations about stigma and vulnerability that you had last Sabbath with Pastor Rico, I felt it fitting, and interestingly enough, asked Pastor Rico about this before I found out about the shooting. Have you talked about anger? Have you talked about frustration? He's like, no, go for it. And then something that should make every one of us angry became not only the headline, but every conversation that we have probably had since. So when we say, thank you that our children are here, thank you for coming home safe. Praise God that you have made it to graduation. This has now become a miracle in our society. To know our children will come back in our arms every night that shouldn't be a miracle that shouldn't be something we have to pray on our knees crying out to God for but it is it is our reality so anger frustration being overwhelmed where where do these come from We sang, and I loved that second song. I don't know what the name of it is. I'm not alone. Is that the name of it? Hallelujah, I am not alone. Psalm 23. That no weapons will hurt me. That I will have no fear. I'm not there. I have a lot of fear. I have a lot of insecurity because I don't feel sure of the safety of my children, let alone my husband, if I can be honest. Anger comes out of that fear and inability to know what to expect, right? To know what is going to happen next. That's where anger and frustration and being overwhelmed comes from because we don't know. There is an uncertainty. It's like someone has taken the rug from underneath you and you have to figure out how to continue to walk when everything is a stumbling block because you don't know what to expect. As you have all been going through this series, there have been an introduction of lies that we tell ourselves. And honestly, I never thought it would be a lie to say, it's okay, everything will be fine. But sometimes it feels like that's a lie. But if you don't mind, I'd like to go back in, go inward in response to that which is out of our control. Parents kids. I think everyone can resonate with this. My first lie that we tell ourselves, I'm not good enough. Am I alone in that? I'm not enough. I'm not going to be enough for my partner. I'm not going to be enough for my kids. I can't be their stronghold. I can't protect them enough. I'm not good enough for my career, for my job, for speaking in front of you. I guarantee you all know a lot more than I do. I am not enough, and I'm not good enough. Has anyone else fed this lie to yourself as a root of so much insecurity? I'm going to challenge us in that lie. Because my question is, if we see ourselves as not enough, if we see ourselves as not being able to be enough for someone else or even for ourselves, what does that say about how we view God? Do we truly believe that salvation is made available that death is conquered, that there is victory because of what God did. Do we believe that? Is Christ enough? Because the question I have is if we are telling ourselves that we aren't good enough, why are we trying to be if Christ is enough? Second lie, no one cares about me. Now I'm a bit of a introvert, extrovert, I have my moments, so the idea that no one cares about me is actually sometimes a relief. Anyone else like to escape? I don't want people to care about me sometimes, I just want to be alone. So it's okay if you don't care about me. But my daughter, some of you know from Orangewood, Hadassah, I love her, she's a sweetheart, and she's amazing, but she has found this line that she can say, that she does say, when she's feeling frustrated. Because she'll raise her voice and yell at me, and then she'll explain that she's doing that because she's frustrated. I feel frustrated, mommy, so I'm going to yell. She's explaining that it's not my fault, but it's that she's feeling frustrated. And the next thing she will say is, no one cares about me. No one cares about me. I'm here like, girl, you have a clean room. You have food. You have a school. What else do I have to do to show that I care about you? Why is it not enough for what I have done to show you love? Again, am I a good enough mom? But the reality is, is if we say to ourselves that no one cares about us, No one cares if we live or die, such as you shared and talked with Pastor Manny. No one cares if I exist or succeed or fail, if no one sees me, if I'm invisible, if no one cares about me, such as our brothers and sisters, people of color, have had to cry out and call out, care, care. If we believe that no one cares, do we also believe that God doesn't care about us? Do we see ourselves through the eyes of God and how God sees us? And my last lie before we get into the text. Everyone hates me. Have you told yourself this? Everyone hates me. And of course, that would mean that we're saying God hates us. I appreciated in watching Pastor Rico's sermon last Sabbath that he dealt more with this reality, that we see God as this vengeful, wrathful God who's trying to see you mess up so that he can destroy you because God hates you. And you have to prove yourself to God as worthwhile. Has anyone been raised with this belief system? We all have, to the point that, you know, it used to be a comfort thing when you would introduce someone and you say, oh, yeah, I'm a Christian. And if they said, oh, I'm a Christian too, or hey, I'm a Christian, I used to feel safe when someone would say, oh, yeah, I'm a Christian. Real talk, if that's okay. I don't feel that way anymore. Christianity as a title has become synonymous with other belief systems. And I can tell you right now, I don't feel safe when someone tells me that they're a Christian. I don't feel safe. Because it has a different climate politically, socially, relationally, and I don't advocate that. I don't advocate that. So who are we then? if we dare to be a people who don't live under these lies, if we dare to be a people who see God as enough, as God who is personal and cares about us, as a God who does not hate humanity, if we dare to see God as loving, what does that mean? What kind of Christianity can we walk in in this world? And where does that start? Let us pray. God, we come into the space seeking you first and foremost. And as we lay down the burdens of perfectionism and lay down the expectations of being enough, may we do so at the altar, at the foot of the cross, so that we may walk in this journey with you, redefining what this world sees as those who follow you, Lord. Amen. If you have your Bibles and you are willing to turn with me to a very complicated text and a very raw moment in Paul's life, to Romans 7. If you have your little fun, I don't have PowerPoint. I don't have all the electronic stuff. But if you have a Bible, if you have a phone, turn with me. And I'd be curious to see what it says in your book. And if you don't mind, I am someone who speaks kind of fast, but I feel like this text needs us to speak a little fast. So tell me if you resonate. Romans 7, starting in verse 14. For we know that the law is spiritual, But I am of the flesh, sold into slavery, under sin. I am under flesh, under sin. I do not understand my own actions, For I do not do what I want, but I do the very thing that I hate. Now, if I do what I do not want, I agree that the law is good. But in fact, it is no longer I that do it, but the sin that dwells within me. For I know that nothing good dwells within me that is in my flesh. I can will what is right, but I cannot do it. For I do not do the good I want, but the evil I do not want is what I do. Now, if I do what I do not want, it is no longer I that do it, but sin that dwells within me. So I find it to be a law that when I want to do what is good, evil lies close at hand. For I delight in the law of God, in my inmost self, but I see in my members another law at war with the law of my mind, making me captive to the law of sin that dwells within my members, wretched man that I am. Who will rescue me from this body of death? Can anyone resonate with that? I know what I need to do, but I don't want to do it. I am a procrastinator, so you put that in that category, I fit. I know that I should be doing X, Y, Z, but I don't. I avoid conflict as much as I possibly can. I know I need to be doing caring, reaching, but I don't. I know I shouldn't be doing this thing I do do. But, and I know the law is good, but this is Paul's wrestling within himself. This frustration with himself, right? This frustration with who he needs to be and who he is. And he talks about it as spiritual versus flesh. And in all of it, he shows the law. So what's happening here is in the background, you have two different schools of thought. You have the philosophers of his time, who believed that you could overcome evil, anger, frustration, all of the feeling that you have inside with reason? Any Star Trek fans, Trekkies out there? Any Trekkies? Yay. Yay. None? <laughs> I got no hands besides my husband. <laughs> Hearing Nick disclose that he has a lightsaber. So <laughs> <laughs> there is a race, yes, I am a Trekkie, of... Vulcans, anyone else know about these people? A few? Their whole thing is overcoming emotion. They do have emotion, overcoming emotion with reason and logic. In this, did you hear Paul's reasoning through, trying to understand why he still does what he does? He is bringing attention to this belief system, saying it's not true. No matter how much reasoning or logic you have, your emotions, your anger, your frustration, your fed upness won't go away. And even philosophers of the time had to admit that they had nobody in their community that had achieved this dismissal of anger, this dismissal of frustration. No one had arrived at reason. So if reason isn't the answer to this anger and this frustration within ourselves, then what do the Jews say? Jewish thinkers from the diaspora said, the law. The law is the answer. If you follow the law, if you spend time with the law, sound familiar, studying the law, always hanging out with the law, if you have the law as your best bud, this will enable you to get rid of the evil, the anger, the frustration, the, the hurt inside. If you study and, study and study and study and study and study and study and study, you will arrive. Is that true? Church, we think this way. If I spend more time in the Word, I won't have stress. If I spend more time in the Word, I won't be angry. I'll be able to magically forgive. If I just spend more time in the word, if I just read the law, I'll make it. I'll arrive. Paul says, that's not an answer either. Because it's not about the law. It's not about logic. It's about a person. It's about a relationship. It is about the one who is enough. Because it ends. In verse 25. Verse 24. Wretched man that I am, who will rescue me from this body of death? Thanks be to God. Through Jesus Christ our Lord. Thanks be to God. The answer Paul has is what we just sang about. Your spirit lives within me. That is the only way we can overcome. That is the only way we can forgive. That is the only way we can channel anger into something constructive as a movement and as a response. It is because of God that we can move forward. It is because of God that we can respond instead of react. You know what's interesting, and I don't know how much time I get to keep you guys for. It is 1215. In my church, we are done by 12. So you tell me if you're getting done, but Take <sighs> church, taking a moment to think about the law. Anyone know the Ten Commandments? Yay. How many of those are positive? How many of those don't have the word no? Anyone know what's there's one out of the ten that we like focus on that does not have not. Every one of them is negative, right? One through three, all the things that are negative, especially when it comes to like you know don't do this against God, don't do this against God. Five through ten, don't do this against your fellow human beings. What's number four? The only positive one that's there. I know, it's not turning into a Bible quiz. No one's being quizzed. It starts with one of the most beautiful words in the Bible that is the foundation of what it means and why we care about the past. Remember. (sighs) Remember the seventh day. Remember the Sabbath. Remember. Every one of them is about, don't do this to God. Don't do this to your fellow man. But number four, remember the Sabbath. Because in Jewish thought is that if you are sinning, it's because you forgot about what God has done. Or you forgot about the lessons you had learned from your ancestors, from those who had done the thing that you're doing now. The whole reality that you are walking in is off of the shoulders of those who've already done it. So remember what they walked through so that you can go further. Remember. Sin is forgetting God. Remember. Remember. Because... You have forgotten, God. You have forgotten how to care for your fellow man. Remember how to love. In my history class, graduates, do you guys have to do this? I don't know if everyone wants to do this. Every single quiz, every quiz, every quiz, we had to write, for those who cannot remember the past are condemned to repeat it. George Santayana. Anyone else have to do that? Every single quiz. And if you did not have cannot, if you put can't, oh, it's 10 points off. And that was your whole quiz. Anyway, that's a whole other thing. Those who cannot remember the past are condemned to repeat it. Do you guys know this quote? Who heard this quote? I got, I got the, like, the exasperated look on your face, so you probably heard it a few times. Those who cannot remember the past are condemned to repeat it. Those who cannot remember the past are condemned to repeat it. Those who cannot remember the past are condemned to repeat it. Church, we have had 27 shootings in this year alone, and it is May. Firearms are the number one cause of death in teens and youth. Number one, more than car crashes. We do this thing where we get angry. We demand action. We don't get it. Time passes, and we move on. I can tell you those who have not, though when a parent is finally brave enough to even look at the room of their child that did not come home that night, who might finally feel brave enough and healed enough to memorialize that bedroom or do some kind of healing, they're not gonna forget. The phrase that's been condemned most by our society that I've been seeing time and time again is thoughts and prayers. Thoughts and prayers. Because we're living fed up. We can't forget. Because forgetting is a sin. We can't forget. Because we need to remember this feeling When the shock is still there. Graduates, when I say the word drill, what's the first thing that comes to mind? Fire drill. What else? Walk down drill. Tornado? Have you ever done a tornado drill? This is why we live in California. I am not going to be anywhere with those tornadoes. I'll take an earthquake over tornado any day. You know, when I think of drill, the first thing I think of is marching in Pathfinders. Yes. Yes. I wish, I wish that was the first thought that you would have. I'm sorry. It's become normal for you to have to hide under your desk, not because the roof might cave in on you, but because someone might be trying to take your life. That's not okay. That's not the future we wanted to create for you. We're angry, and we need to make changes, because there really is no other option. I'm sorry that an earthquake drill is just as common as an active shooter drill. And I'm sorry that we have forgotten the past or even are present, in order to make the change. In this overwhelming pain, and in this anger, I feel inadequate. I feel like there's nothing that I can do. Right? That feeling continues and overwhelms. But with Christ, we are not alone. We are people who believe in prayer because it produces action. We are people who believe in thinking and caring for those around us because it produces movements. We've seen it happen, we're here. Adventism was a movement. Christianity was a movement. These are things that change lives. We dare to say that there is a source that produces the change that needs to happen. Later on in Romans, especially in chapter 8, he talks about how it is from suffering, glory is made possible. Glory of Christ, out of suffering. He almost makes a claim that you have to suffer to receive glory. You have to go through the pain and suffering to learn the lesson lest you forget. Because it is in that suffering there is hope. Paul calls us and says we are people who dare to take our suffering and see What is not there, which is hope. Hope is defined as that which is not in front of you. It is not a reality. It is not something that you're walking in right now. It has become normalized for our children to be scared to go to school. Our hope at this point is a day and an age where that's not the case. Our hope then is that there will be a time when my husband can get pulled over by an officer and I won't be afraid for his life. There is a hope for a world that we don't see right now. And we are a people that walk in that hope. So I have this fun little illustration. And this will be my last point. We hope, because we have been given a vision that's not in front of us, out of our relationship with Christ. Reason's not going to make the feelings go away. The law doesn't make it go away. It is with Christ that we find that. And so this is illustrated by the water is Jesus. I know the kids always enjoy this. Can I actually get a volunteer? Are you guys willing? Yes? Ooh, you were quick. Come on up. You had your hand at first. Are you strong? Because this is kind of heavy. My husband got a little too full there. Okay, I'm going to put this over here. So, church, this is Who? God, Jesus, Holy Spirit. This says, if you can tell, it says, Christine, that's my name. We use this for our wedding. So this is me. You can put your name on here. This is you, okay? This is that intimate group of people around you, your community, people who actually know your name, maybe the people you call in the middle of the night, I don't know, but those that are in your community, your space. And here's the world. Here's all the other communities that you touch. Question. And maybe, give me your name. Mason. Mason. That's a strong name. That's a good name. We're doing a lot of building at home, and so Masonry has become, anyway. So how do you think we will get this colorful juice, this colorfulness, God, poured in all to the people around us and the community around us? By pouring it everywhere. By pouring it everywhere. So... If I pour it in here, go ahead and start pouring in there. Just in this cup. Oh. See, it's heavy, right? Okay, go ahead and stop right there. Now, how do I get that down here? By pouring more? Ooh, did you guys hear him? Did you hear him? Okay, I'm gonna do this. I'm gonna do this. Say that one more time. By pouring more? Come on now. Pouring more of what? From the water. What's the water? Jesus. Jesus. You got it the first try. Some people say you have to empty this out into the community around you. Do we do that? And then we're empty, right? Right, right, right. So go ahead. Go ahead, make a mess, keep going. Yes, okay, 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 okay. Okay. Thank you, Mason. (laughs) Are you empty? Is Christine full? Did the community get touched by God? How? Out of the overflow. Amen? Out of the overflow. Don't minister in your emptiness. Don't reach out and have conversation with that person that triggers you in your emptiness. Did you hear this? Don't That's good. That's speak good. That's good. to those around you in your anger and emptiness. Come out of the overflow, out of that relationship, that moment when you have said, Christ, you are enough. You have saved me. I am saved. I have salvation now. And I will minister to those out of the overflow of you with me, God. Because I can't. I can't. It is frustrating and overwhelming, and it's full of anger. But with God, that can be change. That can be a witness. That can be love and forgiveness. This is, this is the kind of miracles that we see today. This is the kind of miracles that we need today, that we minister to those around us out of the overflow of who we are in Christ, amen. Amen.